You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. everybody, it is time for American Winer on PodcastDetroit.com. How are we doing? My name is Alex. Wednesday evening. My guest tonight, joining us all the way from Portland, is the world's most flammable author, Mr. Danger Slater. How are you doing, man? Pretty good, Alex. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I uh, first discovered you via Twitter. Um, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was a very humorous tweet. I looked into your, your work, and I was like, holy crap, this guy has been busy. He has done a lot. Uh, <laughs> you've been publishing on Amazon since 2011 was when your first uh, uh, piece was put up there. It was called Love Me. Uh, and I read the, the synopsis to your, uh, to your uh, upcoming novel that was uh, – you have you've since – uh, posted uh, five novels on Amazon, written five novels, posted them on there, and then uh, a couple short story collections, a collection of novellas, and a uh, collaboration you did with another uh, another author called Stranger Danger. And uh, I read the uh, the uh, synopsis to your uh, to your most recent uh, novel, which is coming out on June fifteenth. And I'm just going to read it here. I'm, I'm pulling it up real quick. Uh, my father was dying. There was no hope. Uh, then he took a screwdriver to the brain, got pregnant, and found the clue, the the cure for death. Impossible. That's my dad, and it's called Impossible James. And I was like, "Holy crap! I got to I got to find out more about this guy." Uh, so here you are. Um, so uh, so yeah, thanks, th- sure. thanks a lot for coming on. Um, and uh, we'll get to we'll get to talking about all that. The Impossible James coming out on June fifteenth, and, and all the rest of that. But uh, first question I always start off the interview with uh, is, uh, "Where were you born?" I was born in Livingston, New Jersey. Jersey. Where in Jersey is New that? Jersey. Livingston. Well, we didn't live in Livingston. Livingston is a kind of like, like affluent town about 20 miles or so outside of New York. Um, but my dad worked there for the post office and it was like the really nice hospital in the area. So I guess when my mom was going into labor, uh, she decided to take her to that hospital and not the one in the town they lived in. Uh, where did they live? Uh, I grew up in a town called Hopakon, which actually doesn't even have a hospital because it's not a very large town. It's a it's a small uh, it's a small former summer vacation town for like 
like New York people. Like, so like before, you know, Hollywood and Los Angeles, there was a lot of uh, like vaudeville and stage. And that was kind of the entertainment industry. And that was located in New York and not, you know, on the West coast in Los Angeles. So all these vaudeville entertainers would have summer homes in this tiny little town in New Jersey, you know, away from the city called Hopakon because it had a big lake in the center of it. Um, there used to be like an amusement park there and all this other stuff. But when I lived there, all that was gone. It's just a, a like a kind of run of the mill working class town. Uh, they said my middle school was built on an old golf course. Oh, I thought that you were going to say it was built on an old graveyard. I was, I was hoping that's how that sentence was about to end, but that's funny. There might be a a graveyard underneath the golf course. Yeah, Yeah, I suppose you never know. Right. Uh, It's very, it's very, very, the town used to be called little Brooklyn. So it's very like, even though it's a small town in Jersey, it's not that far from New York and it's got a very New York-y kind of feel to it. Uh, Like I'm going to say, including myself, 75% 75% of the town are just like New York Italians. Oh, okay. So it's like a lot of that, like, Hey, what's going on here? That like Jersey shore kind of bravado thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you grow up uh, in uh, what, what is it again? I, I keep thinking it's Hoboken, but that's not it. It's another one. It, it sounds similar yeah, to Hoboken's that. Is a different town. Uh, this is Hopakon. Hopakon. Okay. Yeah. Hopakon. Um, did you grow up, uh, did you spend most of your childhood there? Or did you move around a lot? I spent my entire childhood there. I mean, I guess when we were, when I was like a baby, you know, my parents lived with my, with my grandma or something for a little bit in a different town, but I don't remember any of that. Any of the important years I spent growing up were spent there. Um, my parents still live there. So in the same house. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah. what were you into as a kid? Like what were your interests? Uh, reading. <laughs> I, I read a lot of books. I like reading and watching movies. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too into sports, which is probably the case for a lot of, uh, you know, these artistic type people that you have on your show. Dude, you'd be surprised. I've, I've, I've interviewed a bunch of people and like musicians and, and other authors and things. And a lot of them actually were like, oh, I played tennis. I played baseball. I played basketball. And that was like their thing. You know, I yeah. don't know why, but yeah. yeah, I was, I was the same way. Like I didn't, I could care less about sports. I played hockey because my parents made me and I guess I enjoyed it and it was, there were good things about it, but I was never passionate about it. Oh yeah. Same thing though. I like, I played basketball. I played, I was in track, you know, like, but I never wanted to like do any of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd be like running a track meet. I'd be like, what the hell is the point of this? Like, we're just running. Like there's not even balls involved. Yeah. You know, like this is terrible. And my, my dad was like, Oh, you're so good at it though. And I'm like, yeah. Cause I went through puberty like two years before everybody else. So like <laughs> in the middle of school, I was like, you know, this big gangly dude who is like physically stronger than everyone around me. And it wasn't because I'm this like physical, you know, imposing presence or, or athletic person. It's just that I went through puberty slightly before everybody else. Were you the middle <laughs> schooler with a beard? Off, I was terrible. Were you the middle like, school? Were you were you the middle schooler with a beard? Oh, I, I straight up had a, like a mustache. I didn't like. I didn't know how to like shave or anything. No one was like kind of helping me there. I just had like this like little gross wispy thing. Oh man. Yeah, there's always that one middle school who's got face middle schooler who's got the facial hair that you can pick out, and it's like, you know, it's like that kid, his hormones kicked in, 
you know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, so you you uh, you just read and watched movies, and like, what were you reading and what were you watching? Oh man, well I. I kind of did, my parents kind of, my mom specifically kind of did this thing where she like got really annoyed that I was reading so much. Not that, <laughs> that sounds terrible. Not that she was annoyed that I was reading so much. She was annoyed that she had to keep spending money on books. Like she would buy me a Goosebumps book, which is, you know, uh, Goosebumps. Like I would read it in like a day, right? And mm-hmm. she'd be like, okay. And I, you know, I'd ask her for another one and she'd be like, okay. And then she'd buy a second one and then be like, Oh, I'm done with that one. Can I have another one? She's like, you know what? Screw this. And then she just gave me like Stephen King's it. She's like, read that instead. It's 800 pages. <laughs> like, okay. How old were you when you read that? So I was like maybe fifth grade or sixth grade, something like that. Definitely too young for it. <laughs> well, I, I was, cause I was going to say that was the first Stephen King book you read. And it was also kind of the first adult book you read. Uh, yeah, that and Jurassic Park were kind of like what was going on, like the first adult books that I read. Them, and these were because my mom was giving me these things to just not to stop me from reading, just to stop me from reading the books so quickly. She was like, "You need to read longer books." Right, right. If you're doing it that quickly, then and plus, there's only one at those those days. Goosebumps. There was only one a month, so once you were caught up, you had to wait another month to get the next one. Um, so those, yeah. yeah, so that was, the, I don't know why we didn't utilize the library more. Like I was thinking about it. Yeah. Maybe she just had something against libraries. I don't know. I love the library. Like as an adult now, I'm like, why would I buy books? Like I could just have the library either rent, take it out from there or just, if they don't have it, they, I'll just send them a request and they order it for me. I'm like, well, there you go. Like they bought it for me. I could just read it and give it back to them. Yeah, exactly. And they're very, very relaxing places, very comforting presences. It's almost like a church when you go into a library. It's very soothing and, and, and quiet and everything smells good. Um, uh, well, <laughs> depending on where you are, I, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, I've noticed a big difference in some of the, the town's libraries and the library here in Portland. <laughs> Even though the library here is probably the best library system, it's also you know, the, an air conditioned place that people who don't have homes can hang out at all day and go uh, on the internet and read books and stuff. So it's not always the most like relaxing place because it's packed full of people who don't have anywhere else to go. Um, but that said, I, in one of my books, one of my more recent books, not uh, Impossible James, the one you were talking about, but the one before that is called He Digs a Hole. And I wrote that whole, almost that entire book in the library. Like I would just go to the library to just get out of my house to, to do the work. And uh, it was the middle of the summer, so it would be nice and air conditioned. I remember reading that somewhere. I think you did an interview with, uh, I think it was called Culture Vulture. It had Vulture and the, the website had Vulture yeah. in, the, in the name. Yeah, culture vultures. Yep. Yeah, and you mentioned that. That's really cool. I've always wanted to sit down and write a novel in a library. Did you find that it was like? Because I think you even said in the interview, we were like, it made me more disciplined about it because it was like I was going to my office or something. Like it's like I came all the way here. Why would I not work? You know. It, it's exactly that's exactly right. And the funny part too is like, I've I've since moved apartments, um, but the apartment I was living at then was like two blocks from the library. So it was like either a five minute walk or like a 30 second drive. So it wasn't even like I was going anywhere, you know, like I'm just in the neighborhood still, but it's still 
was this like, well, I came all the way here. I made coffee to bring with me. Like I might as well just sit down and like do the work. Why would I have come here if I wasn't intending to do the work? As opposed to your house where there's a million distractions and, you know. Yeah. And you have the internet and, and, you know, various other screens and, uh, and other hobbies of yours that are, that are getting in the way books that you're, that you're reading, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. Backing up, uh, I do want to get into your writing process, but before we do that, because um, sure. I, I wanted to say it was the first book that I read that was like an out that wasn't a Goosebumps book or wasn't a a, a, a young adult book, um, and same thing with Jurassic Park, and I was about your age too, uh, so that's funny mm-hmm. that those were the first two. I think it's you know people because I mean I think you're four years older than me, um, and uh, I, that's just our generation. Like every kid that that writes now. I don't know about every kid. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But if you if you write horror or if you're interested in that type of genre, you read Goosebumps when you were a kid. That was just what mm-hmm. that was just what was popular. Um, that was really. I mean, it's. I believe that's second only to Harry Potter in in terms of sales. And I know Animorphs is up there too. And I read Animorphs. Did you read Animorphs? No, I, I missed that one. Mm. Uh, those actually hold up. Goosebumps are terrible now as an adult. Animorphs are still pretty good. So if you want to check them out, you could probably blast through that whole series in like you know a week or so. Um, I, I vaguely remember the toys. I don't think I read any of those books. Yeah, they were they were good. They were uh, the, looking back on them, they were way more like if they were to adapt those faithfully into like an HBO series or something, it would be it wouldn't be a kids show. It would be very dark and very violent. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, so you, you mentioned uh, so you, you you grew up. You were reading a lot. You, you were watching movies. Um, uh, you you did some sports, but you were never passionate about them. Uh, you said your dad worked for the post office. That's what he that's what he did for a living. Yeah, uh, still does. He's uh, just about at retirement age. Um, so he's still he's still employed by the post office. Uh, does your mom work? My mom is retired now, but she works uh, at the hospital, uh, which is what she did when she before she was retired. She just kind of scaled back to help my sister take care of her children. Oh. So she's kind of she's kind of helping my sister out uh, and is retired. So they're and all in New Jersey. Are you? Uh, is it just you and your sister? Yeah. And older or younger? She is three years younger than me. Okay. Um, and uh, final question is, uh, is related to your upbringing. What kind of a student were you? Sure. I was a terrible student. <laughs> <laughs> I was so bad. Oh, man. Dude, I hated school. I was like, I did not like school at all. I My mom told me that my first day coming back from kindergarten or first grade or whatever, she's like, I dropped you off for the school bus and you were all excited. And she's like, you came back and you just had the worst frown on your face. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's like, it literally, she's like, it never changed. So like you never kind of fell in line with it. And it, I always, it took a very, very long time for me to um, not come to terms, like with the fact that I was not a good student, but to realize that it wasn't going to per- preclude me from being successful in other things in my life. You know, I was kind of like bitter at the fact for a long period after I had graduated high school going, Oh, you know, like, I guess I'm just some loser who can't like figure anything out or do anything right. But 
it took me a minute to realize that's not the case at all. And it's just one aspect of, uh, of your upbringing that kind of is very rigid and not everybody kind of falls in line with what, you know, the program there. Yeah, definitely. It's like Einstein's old quote about the, you know, everybody's a genius, but if you, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, I can't remember how the rest of the sentence goes, but you get the, you get the idea. <laughs> oh, no, I love that. That's great. Um, I would so, get in trouble a lot. See, I like I was I was kind of bored by school, and also I didn't like any of the work that they were giving me. <laughs> I'm like, ah, math is stupid. Like, I just want to read books. So I would just kind of like act out all the time, and and uh, you know, I'd get in trouble a lot. I, 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 in a lot of ways, I feel like I haven't even changed because, like, this, uh, the same thing when I have like a boss. Like, if I have a job that I have a boss for, uh, luckily right now I'm kind of like working for myself a little bit, but you know, in the past when I've had bosses, I'm just like, Oh, shut the fuck up. Like, leave me alone. You know? Like, yeah. Do yeah. My job. <laughs> do you have a day job now? Uh, I do like delivery work. So like basically Ubering and stuff to just kind of help supplement my income with writing and other freelancing stuff. So, uh, not a technical day job, but you know, uh, I'm hustling. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're a millennial. Right? <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, so when did you first start writing, though? Like, when did you first, you know, was it soon after you read It, or had you already been trying trying your hand at it by then? Uh, I can't, I, I, as far back as I can remember, I was writing. I, I think it's taken on different, uh, you know, directions over the years. I remember the first, when I was very young, I wanted to write comic books. You know, because uh, that's what I was into. I was into Marvel, you know, in, in the early 90s. Uh, Ghost Rider and all all those kind of guys. And I'm just like, this shit is so cool. Like, I want to write one of these. And uh, I mean, I still would love to write one of those. But that is the hardest industry to probably break into. <laughs> it's so competitive and like, it's just tough. Especially if you don't draw like me who can't draw for shit. Um and then when I was in middle school, I started getting into movies uh, a lot more. I, was, I mean, I was always into movies, but when I started getting into like independent film, like this is kind of when like Clerks came out mm-hmm. and like that little mid nineties wave of, uh, of independent cinema, which was like kind of coming up with me. Like, so these were the first like adult movies I was really exposed to. Um, and I was like, oh, shit, I want to write movies. Like, this is what I should be doing. Like, fuck comic books. I'm going to write movies, um, which is also very competitive and <laughs> difficult to break into. <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah. And also something I would love to do at some point. But um, by the time I was 18, that's when I kind of decided that novels were, were more my speed and and what I wanted to do. So, um yeah, I mean, I've always been writing, so it's just kind of the, the focus of it has taken on different purport, like you know, uh, directions over the years. Well, so you, did you try and like, did you have like old comic books that you like rough comic books that you worked on when you wanted to do comic books and like rough screenplays when you wanted to do movies, or did you just kind of like like have ideas and then you just moved on? And then when you're 18, you're like, you know what, screw it, I'm just going to do novels. I mean, did you ever do like? I mean, you have short stories. Did you ever? Did you do the the sort of build up to it where you know a lot of the the authors say, like professional authors say, they 
you know, you should start off doing short stories so you know how to to, to do a character arc in, in a short, you know, short form and 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 uh, and learn how to wrap, you know, plot threads up in relatively quick terms and and uh, and all that good stuff. Um, I mean, or did you just immediately jump into it? Was it just kind of like I want to know novels are my speed, so here's my first novel. Well, um, I know well, that was a I lot. Mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to answer the first part, like I did of your question, like I when I was young and I wanted to write comic books, I was trying to do it. You know, I was in like fourth grade and fifth grade, so they're not good. But I would write comics about. I took my sister and her best friend who was our neighbor and I just wrote these little, co- they were stick figures basically. I made them kind of like bubbly, but they didn't really have faces. They were just kind of like figures and they would just walk around and get into trouble. And I was just basically making fun of my sister and her friend in comic books. And I would just take every little personality trait about them and just be the hell out of them. And then I would show her and she'd be like, but I had like 10 of them, you know, I like wrote 10 little comic books about her. Um, and then when I was in middle school, I tried writing a movie, of course, which is somewhere in a Tupperware in my parents' house in their attic somewhere with a bunch of my old notebooks and crap. Um, so, like, I did it. It's not good, <laughs> but it exists. I was kind of trying to do it. I guess even back then, I knew you just have to, like, force yourself to do the thing if that's the thing that you want to do like it's not good enough to just have an idea or to have all your little plot points you have to actually do it and knowing the kind of student i was you had to i not only did i have to do it i had to do it and fail like over and over and over and over again just to learn how to do it okay yeah (laughs) you know exactly yep so so when i when i wanted to start writing books like i i know the exact moment that books i was like i need to write novels was when i was i think i was 17 or 18 and i was in a band with my friends and we were going to go to a studio to record a demo or something like that and so we all piled into the van and my friend was driving and i got stuck in the way way back of the van right so you know there's different rows of seats and everyone's sitting in there and i'm you know, all the seats got taken. So I'm sitting in the back by myself. No one can hear me. I'm not talking to anyone. And I look over and I don't know if it was his mom's or his or somebody left a copy of Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut on the, in the back of the van. So I just, you know, I'm sitting there by myself. It was like a 40 minute drive. So I just picked up the book and started reading it. And like by the end of, you know, the, the, the van I read the entire van ride we got there I kept reading at the at our at the recording studio <laughs> like whenever I was finding downtime I finished the book in like a day or two and when I was done I was like oh that's what I need to be doing like that is this I want to make because I you know that book I was profound to me uh you know I had never read anything like that before and I went I want to write something that inspires me or inspire someone like me the way this book has inspired me to do, to write a book. Right. You know, like I want to write, I want to create something that has the power to affect people. Um, and yeah, that was, I was about 17 or 18 and it took until I was about 27 or 28. I think, I don't know how old I was in 2011 when that first book came out, but 
that's how long it took to get there. Like, so 10, basically 10 years of writing, like you're saying, writing short stories, trying to get them, sell them to places, send them out to places and, you know, getting rejected and, you know, trying to make my, anyone I can to read them, my friends, my family, like, Hey, you should read this thing that I wrote. And everyone's just rolling their eyes. Like, Oh God, making this weird, read this nonsense, this weird nonsense. You want to <laughs> write. So it's a, it was a long, steep process to get to the point where I was actually able to finish something that I was able to sell essentially. Well, when did you first get published? Did you, I mean, did you end up, was, what was like sort of the catalyst where you, you realized like, Hey, I think I'm ready to put, to sell something. Like when, was there a moment for you where you realized that, or was it just sort of a gradual tide coming in kind of thing? Uh, I would, it's definitely gradual, but you know, there, it, the difference is the internet essentially. Like once, the resources of the internet were available to me to just kind of utilize and look and network with, it kind of made an entire world of difference because instead of me writing this weird stuff that I'm writing, cause I've always been writing weird shit. Like, so instead of me trying to find sending it out to places that have no interest in it, because these are the only markets that I know the, the internet and the writing communities on the internet and the, the lit mags and different small presses that have popped up kind of opened the doors and showed me that, no, you're not the only guy writing this weird stuff. There's a whole bunch of other people doing it. And this is the path you should kind of start looking at instead of this other direction where, you know, everyone was going, this is not what we're looking for. Right. And it's, it's, you know, it, it sucks that, excuse me, it sucks that it takes so long between when, you know, you realize, oh, I've been going about it the wrong way this whole time. Like, cause you're right. Like it, it, you can either take, there's like two approaches that you can take to it. One, you can write what people, what people like what's tried and tested and what people, you know, people are going to buy and have it not be something that, you know, risk the potential for it turning into something that you're not going to like, or that it becomes just work or you write whatever the hell you want and you risk nobody being interested in it. Um, and even if you did, you take the first route, there's still no guarantee that anybody's going to give a shit anyway, because I mean, you talk about competitive, especially nowadays, fucking every, it's like podcasts, man. Everyone has a fucking <laughs> podcast and everybody fucking writes. It's, uh, and, and it seems to me, and this is why I found, I find your career really interesting is because it seems to me the only way to sort of beat that, the, the, the sort of the ocean that you jump into whenever you, you, you start doing one of these things are two things. One is being prolific and the other is longevity. So doing it over a, an extended period of time and just refusing to quit. And eventually you will find an audience just b- by by virtue of being there and 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 being around and uh even if you don't get to do it for quote unquote a living you still can start to build up a fan base and build up an audience that over time will sustain you in some way just because you've been doing it for so long and you like you like like you got five novels out now you got and, and all and the other uh short stories and things that you've put out and uh you know you you get royalties off of that from Amazon so it's a mm-hmm. 
it's a, uh, I mean, and that's always going to be there for you, you know, as long as you continue to go. I mean, you've, you've been putting out a novel every year. I think you put out two in 2016. I think, tw- yeah, there was, it was puppet skin. And what was the other one? I will rot without you. Um, yep. uh, and so that's, that's really the only way to beat it is just to, to, to be prolific, to constantly do it and then, ex- and play the long game. Um, so th- th- I, I completely agree. And, and it's like, I'm in the, cause I write too. And I'm, I'm kind of in the, uh, the mixture of the short story, uh, uh, writing process. And then I also have, I, I, I'm, I have a couple novels now too, but I'm not like, I realize I, cause I did the submission blitz and the query blitz and all that stuff. And, and it's just the, the, the cone of silence that you enter when you're doing that, you're just like, this is killing everything that I love about this. I'd rather just fucking do it and take the Van Halen approach. When Van Halen was, was uh, playing in the 1970s in the LA scene, they said, until people come and find us, we're not good enough. And when they do, then we'll be, then we'll know we're good enough. And so we're just going to fucking play until that happens. And so that's the approach that, that I'm taking is just until people start noticing, then I'm, I'm not good enough. And if it never happens, then it never happens. But I, I would rather do it on my own trajectory than, than fucking try and do it by somebody else's standards and kill what passion I have for it anyway. Um, I mean, and it sounds kind of like that's what you went through where you were just like, I'm going to do this until I'm good at it, until I feel good at it, about it. And then, uh, and then you ended up finding the bizarro horror community and you found your niche and that's what you've been in uh, since then. So, uh, so th- that's. Uh, I mean, is that accurate? Would you say? Yeah, I mean, I th- I work with small presses, so it, I, I'm not putting out the books entirely alone. There's, you know, I have an editor, and these people help me. You know, they help with the covers and uh, the layout and all the kind of technical specs of the book. Um, but my editor doesn't really change much of the text of my of my books you know he's just like yeah like let's just clean this up so it's a little more clear here or you're doing a little redundancies here so you don't need any of this kind of stuff like so nobody i've been fortunate enough to get to the to to not have people stepping in and saying you need to change your vision or anything like that and i think a lot of that comes from the fact that um I was spending so much time refining it myself before it got to the point where other people were looking at it mm-hmm. <laughs> or paying any attention to me at all. Yeah. Um, and it's great with, and I've noticed this, especially with Twitter. Like, I think if you're a writer, you should be on Twitter. Like you need to be out there. It's like, no one's going to find you by accident. You know, you need to convince people that you're worth, their time because there is no end to the amount of entertainment that they have. Like they have not only when you release a new book, not only are you going, I don't want to say against because it's not a competition like that, but for people's attention and money, like you are with everybody else who's doing that currently, everyone else who's ever done it, every other form of entertainment, video games, movies that's ever been made. Like, there's only a limited amount of time that every single person has. So you need to do something to convince them to give you a shot. And then you need to bring your a game with that. (laughs) You need to give them a product that backs up that chance that they took. And I think that's kind of like 
what Twitter has, has kind of helped me with is I, the way I am just like my personality, the way I joke around and how I uh, have always approached using the computer and social media, like Twitter is built for me, like just little short, non silly, non sequiturs. I could do that all day. <laughs> like, yeah. I saw like, and, like just before the show, you posted that my cat's asshole is like three inches from my face or something. <laughs> like, oh yeah. No, it is. So, it was, it's, now it's about <laughs> seven or eight inches. Cause he's moved down my lap a little bit. Cause I'm talking on the phone, <laughs> but right before I was like just relaxing and, and he just kind of like decided to plop right next to my face. But you know, like the the good thing about Twitter is like you post about your cat's asshole. Sure. Like people <laughs> either relate to it or they go, that's stupid. What the hell is this guy talking about? And then it just disappears from their, you know, field of vision. It's also ephemeral. Like it's just flittering by people. And if they like it, they'll pay attention. If they don't, it's just like, you know, water through the sieve, you know, like it's right. just gone and it doesn't matter. Well, how, so there's no like punishment for doing something stupid unless you're, you know, doing something really stupid, but saying like a bad joke or saying something that people don't care about, like there's no punishment for that, <laughs> you know? Right. Except you just get ignored. Basically, if people don't like it, they won't yeah. pay attention to it. People reward you with attention. That's, that's the real currency of the world is human attention. Um, and it is finite. How long have you been on Twitter? I I think I joined in 2012, but I didn't start tweeting seriously till maybe 2014 or 15. Like you know, being on uh, on the regular and trying to engage with people through there. Mm-hmm. There's no that's that's the other thing too, right? Like as an independent artist, like you don't need a million readers. Nope. Like it would be great. Yeah. It would be great. If I had a million people buy one of my books, I would be set for the rest of, I don't know how long yes. on money. If I, I sold a million copies, it would be great. But as a working artist, you don't need a million people. You need a, just a good chunk, a core group of people. And you just need to keep giving them something and having them believe in you. Like if you, I think I, and I, I heard this advice somewhere. Um, on a, on a different podcast, but they had gotten it from a book. Um, but basically what it boiled down to is if you have a thousand fans, a thousand people who want to read your book or listen to your band or whatever, and you keep giving them stuff, you know, uh, if you give them a book or, uh, and, and like some short stories, or basically if you just give them stuff to buy, you'll make enough money to live just off your art. And that's a thousand people. I don't think that's an unreasonable goal for any artist is to have a thousand people be into what they do. No. And that's, and I feel like that you're you're totally right, man, because it seems like, especially our culture tells us if you're not the pinnacle of success, then you've failed. Whereas there, you completely forget that there are so many working bands out there and, 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 and authors and, and, and just artists, people who make pottery and things that, uh, they don't, you're right. A thousand people. Cause I mean, if, if each of your products costs five bucks and a thousand people buy it, I mean, that's five grand. And there's people that, that work at McDonald's to make five grand a month. You know, it's not, you're not going to be right. rolling in it, but you can support yourself and you're doing something that does that, that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. So that, that isn't asking a lot. And you're absolutely right. A thousand people is not unreasonable. Um, I've been on Twitter almost two years and I'm, I'm, I, I'm about to a thousand followers. Now you've been on, you said since 2012, you have, 15k i think right i think you just passed 15k 
the last time I checked. Yeah, um, yeah uh, like um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's just, and you know, they say, uh, what's the what the hell is the quote? It's like to he who has everything, much will be given. And basically, what that means is like the more you have, the more likely, the more you're, the more you grow, the more your audience grows. So you are, you've got fifteen thousand people following you now, and then so that that widens your circle all the more so that yeah. it makes it makes it even more likely that your your following will will increase that and the fact that you have all this stuff already up and 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 freely available and easy to find uh you know it's 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 really going to be interesting to see what happens with you in the next like 10 years man because uh your stuff is so i mean bizarro horror it's right there in the name right but like i remember when i i read the synopsis to uh he digs a hole which is about a dude who Starts digging a hole in his background, and he ta- he cuts his hands off and replaces them with gardening tools to make it a more uh, make himself more efficient. And uh, I was like, "How the hell? I could never stretch that in- idea into a novel. Like, how the hell did he do that?" And I started reading it, and it's funny you mentioned Cat's Cradle was sort of the the novel that made you want to write novels because your your prose is very concise. Uh, it's very accessible. Um, it's, it reminds me of Vonnegut, the, just the, in, in terms of its structure and, and the way that you don't, you don't go overboard with your, your descriptions or anything like that. It's just very, it's very uh, practical and it goes down really, really smooth. Um, but then the things that you're talking about are just the most like outlandish, like, I, like the Impossible James synopsis. It's like, what the fuck is that book about? You know? <laughs> what, what the hell does that even mean? Uh, there's so many things barely, in that. It barely touches on it too. Like the, that back cover and for both of it, for he digs a hole and impossible James, like there it's, it barely touches on what the book is actually doing. You know, like I'm just me and my editor were like, we just need to, he's like, you just need to give like the tease, you know, mm-hmm. you just need it to be like this concise thing that, that people can't not want to know more. Yeah, at the very least, it'll it'll hook them, and it'll be like they'll be like, "What the hell is that even?" Even if it's like a if it's like a "What the fuck" type thing, like how does that even work? Like even if they, they don't even necessarily need to like it, they just have to. It just has to stick in their brain. Well, the 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 compliment I get most, um, which I this is I love this compliment too. It's people go, "Oh, I was expecting something like gross and silly," and they're like. Yeah, it's that, but like, I'm surprised at how deep and emotional and all the other places this book or this story goes. And I think that's kind of the, that's the hook that gets people to come back because like, yeah, I'm talking about my cat's asshole on Twitter and people go, that's funny. And they go, this guy's writing weird shit. That's funny. I need to check that out. And then they read it and they're like, oh, I didn't expect to actually like have an emotional connection while reading this, I just thought I was going to be entertained and, and you were able to do that, but you're also able to deliver so much more. And I think at least for me consuming art, the factor that makes me determines whether I love something or just liked it was how surprised was I by the thing. Mm -hmm. And like, it's great to go to a movie and the movie's exactly what you thought it was. I went to a horror movie and it was good and it was scary and that was great. And everything I wanted was there. Uh, but it's another thing to go to a movie and like, uh, I don't know if you saw hereditary from last year, I'm not going to spoil anything, but that movie goes 
so much weirder and deeper than what that trailer had shown, <laughs> which was like, hey, it's a creepy little kid or in a creepy grandma. And then you go there and you're like, oh, that's not what this movie is at all. This movie's a lot more shit's going on in this movie than what they were showing. And that surprise factor or that factor that, uh, you know, um, that unexpected is just kind of what makes or breaks things for me. So that director now, I'm like, I'm interested in everything they have to do. Yeah. You know, a- if, they could, if they could give you me that feeling of going, Oh, this, you know, this jaded asshole like me who spends all their days reading books and watching movies and consuming art can make something that made me surprised in, in a way like, Oh, I'm on board for what this guy's doing right. or, girl or whoever. Yeah, there's a there's a whole swath of like younger like horror millennials, millennial horror directors that have come out in the last like three or four years. Um, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be gonna be interesting to see what uh, what happens with them because they all are kind of releasing their sophomore uh, efforts in the next year or two here, and uh, and we'll see who's we'll see who's got the staying power and who's gonna need to to sort of you know who may have been a one hit wonder and and all the rest of that. Um, it made me it made me really happy because I had that thought the other day too, where like you know when we were growing up like the horror guys were like Wes Craven and John Carpenter, and you know, like they're just old old men or or have passed on at this point like you know they they've just been around for a long time right and this is like now we have like Ari Aster with Hereditary and Jordan Peele and there's just this whole new crop of guys that I'm like, these are the, these are the John Carpenters of tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. we are here watching it happen in real time. And it's kind of an exciting time to be a, a fan of horror movies. Yeah. It was due. We were due for a reset too. It was, it was, it was uh, not that it had gotten stagnant. Well, I mean, I guess it kind of did get stagnant. I mean, people say that TV is where you want to go for real quote unquote real art nowadays. But uh, I mean, it's good to see it, every, every medium needs a kick in the ass once a decade to sort of get, you know, get to the next decade. And, uh, yeah. and so, and we're in the middle of the current kick in the ass. So that's a, it's a good time to, to be around for that. Um, I, uh, I want to ask you, what is your writing process? Cause, and I guess this, I'll ask the next question with it cause it kind of ties into it, but how are you so prolific? How have you managed to be, to release so much since you finally got to that point where you're like, okay, love me is good enough to, to try and sell. Um, so what's your, what's your, do you sit down and have a word count or, or how do you go about it? No, I don't, I don't do word counts. I, that would stress me out. Like, cause there's no one really holding my feet to the fire except for myself. Like, it's, like I said, I work with small presses and that's fine, but they're not, it's not like, you know, I signed some six book deal or something and they're just like, where's, you know, we need something for the, the next May release or, you know, Nobody cares about that. They're just like, you get it to us when you're done or don't or do whatever you want kind of thing. So nobody's really holding me accountable. So I don't put word counts on myself because uh, I would feel stressed out by not hitting those. What I do instead is set aside a set period of time every day and I just sit down at the computer to write for that period of time. And sometimes... I'll hit a thousand words and sometimes I'll write 50, but I sat down and went to work. And I think that is the discipline there. Uh, um, because if you sit down long enough, it's going to just come out. 
<laughs> like it'll it'll be there at some point. Yeah, and if it doesn't, then I mean, you can try work on another project or um or fucking just try again the next day. But at least you you have to look back and say I tried today. I fucking like you said, even if it's just a fifty word thing. Who uh, it was Chuck? I'm gonna mangle the guy who wrote Fight Club. I think it's Chuck Palinuk. Is how you pronounce his name. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, he said his his uh, the way that he goes about it is he's I work on on something if when I sit down I give it a half an hour because if you half an hour is usually enough to if you're not into it if you're not on the tracks and got have the train moving at the end of the half hour you you you're probably good to to move on to to get up and try something else or or whatever it is uh, but half an hour is you know if, if like you said if you stay there long enough. It, you will you'll you'll get on the 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 train will get rolling and uh so i thought that was that was a good uh good piece of advice but yeah you're right it mostly just comes down to just sitting down and fucking doing it and and like trying and doing it and every day is the is the 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 main thing it has to be a a, a habit to the point where it's almost like they say going to the gym you know get going to the gym at first is hard but once you start getting into that process you're going to feel shitty when you don't do it after a while if you yeah. skip, if you start skipping on a regular basis. So that's that's kind of the the that seems similar to me. I give myself two to three hours uh, every morning, right when I first wake up. And I've, I've slowly built a life around that. Like I, I, I don't take jobs usually that I have to work when I first wake up because then that would get in the way of that. I, I, I like the morning cause that's when I feel most creative. I know a lot of people like to write at night. Um, Hello. Hey. Hey, man. I think we lost you there. What the? Did, was that yeah. you or us? I don't think that was us. I didn't touch anything. Uh, uh, I might have touched the mouthpiece. I don't know what happened. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, jumping back in, they can just edit that out, so that's fine. Uh, the uh, you were talking about um, uh, just you 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 don't take jobs and if you have to if they make you uh, if they cut into your uh, morning writing period. Yeah, over the years, I've I've slowly developed, um, or not developed, I've slowly built a life where I'm able, uh, I put my writing uh, in the time I have to spend writing first and foremost. Like, I, I am a creative person in the morning. I like to wake up, make a cup of coffee, and sit down at the computer for two or three hours and write. Some people like to do it later at night. I'm a little too tired at night to, to feel creative, so... That's why I like the morning. So if I'm going to put in any hours at work, uh, at the day job, I have taken jobs that don't start until the afternoon <laughs> or the evening themselves. That's I could be tired for work because writing is more important. That's smart, man. Because then you can also look back on your day and you're like, even though I'm working this day job that I, that, you know, I fucking hate, uh, I already made strides towards my own personal goal and you can look back and feel good about that and you're like okay i already did what i needed to do for myself today so the rest of today is just me making sure i can eat and pay my bills yeah and as like you were saying too as i release more things 
uh, I'm able to scale back working at the other working at other things if more money's coming in from writing. Right. So it's like I only need X amount of dollars per month. I'm not sitting here trying to make a, you know, I have a little apartment. It's fine. <laughs> you know, like it's all I want, all I need right now. Like I'm not sitting here trying to to have uh, a mansion in, in up in the hills or anything. I just need to uh, make certain amount of dollars per month and to make sure all my needs are met. And so if I have more money writing, I can do less other work to hit that amount. And then that kind of just is this self-feeding cycle. Because if you have more time to write, you'll make more money writing, essentially. Uh, I want to talk about Impossible James. Um, w- could you tell us about that? And and uh, and it's coming out on June fifteenth uh, again. Uh, and I mean, like, how long did it take you to write it? And wh- what was the, where did the idea come from? And just kind of give us give us the the, the promotional spiel or whatever uh, on that. Yeah, uh, it took about eight, seven to eight months to write. That's basically, I've, dis- I've discovered over the course of my last several books, uh, the last four specifically, that's kind of my period to write. It takes seven or eight months to write a book. Uh, and then like maybe a month or two to edit it. I, uh, I don't, I'm not one of those writers that is like, Oh, let me just get the first draft out and worry about all this later. I kind of slowly work my way through the book. Uh, You're a basher. I'm not so, so concerned about word counts because I'm not like, I need to write a thousand words a day. I'm like, no, I wrote 50 perfect words uh, and that's yeah. good. <laughs> like, I'm not going to need to change this. So you're, you're a basher then as Vonnegut would say. I'm a, I'm a basher. Sure. <laughs> I think that's what he would describe himself as too. Yeah, where it's like you, every word has to. It's like you edit as you go, basically. And then there's swoopers who just who who are the rough draft people who just are like, okay, I'm gonna fucking diarrhea this out onto the page, and then I'll fix it later. But at least it'll it'll think, exist. Yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think it's more of works for you. Oh you yeah, know, definitely. I, I've been doing this over so long of a period of time. Like I just know how the best time for me. And I'm on such a routine when I sit down to write in the morning, it's like flipping a light switch on. Like I don't have to sit there and, you know, get my thoughts in order. I do, you know, I'll make my coffee, I'll check my email and then it's time to go, (laughs) you know, it's time to start working. Right. Um, but going back to, uh, impossible James, um, what was your question? Just what, what's, what's the book about? Yeah. Just, just tell us about it. Yeah. Um, this is a book about, uh, I called it a book about death. It's about a, a, a man who has a terminal illness that uh, he discovers on the first page. Uh, it's kind of a vague terminal illness. Uh, the, the doctor tells him he has a black spot in his brain and it's going to kill him. Uh, so he kind of has this existential breakdown uh, which culminates in him getting fired from his job. And, you know, as he confronts his own mortality uh, in an accident, uh, which lodges this screw in his head, as mentioned on the back of the book, um, gives him an idea once it's in there uh, to preserve himself and his legacy by cloning himself 
and uh, getting pregnant with his own clone. And <laughs> the story sort of unravels from there. Uh, again, that's just touching very lightly on where the book goes. That's probably only summarizing the first third. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, it's out on June 15th on Amazon. Um, and so we are definitely going to, you know, be checking that out. I, one last question. We are at the top of the hour here, so I gotta, I gotta yeah. uh, be wrapping this up here in a, in a little bit, but I do want to ask, what are you reading right now? Are you, uh, are you, is there anything, uh, you're, you're currently in the middle of? Uh, yeah, I just finished a book called Foe by Ian Reed. His name is, uh, he wrote a book last year called, I'm thinking of ending things, which was really, really great that I believe they're, Charlie Kaufman is going to direct the film version of it. So yeah. I knew I'd heard that somewhere it, before. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you know, Charlie Kaufman in the type of work he creates, like you can imagine what kind of book would inspire him to, <laughs> to make a movie. So it's a very strange, uh, an interesting book. And I just read his second novel, which kind of falls in line with that. And it was really, really great. I would highly recommend it. Um, and I also just started uh, The Year of the Flood by Margaret Atwood, who is, along with Vonnegut, probably one of my favorite writers uh, and big influences on me. Have you taken, uh, you know, you know that master class thing you see advertisements for? Uh, are you familiar with that? Uh, I'm familiar with it, yeah. She has a master class. Um, I, 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 I took it just because I was, I was kind of interested in seeing, like, what the hell are these about? Dude, she is a really good teacher. I didn't know... Like I knew who she was. Like I knew she was the woman who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, but um, I I never really looked into her, dude. I bought like f- five, four or five of her books after after learning more about her, and she's she's fucking great, man. I'd never, uh, I I'd never. I mean, I, again, I knew who she was, but I didn't realize. I I don't know why it took me so long to to realize that. Uh, yeah, her books are darker, weirder, and just like way bigger than you would expect from this like old Canadian grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, this lady is fucking nuts in the best way possible. You know, like and, and they play with a lot of really big ideas and they're audacious and uh, bold. And I don't know. She's just one of the best of all time. Um, so yeah, man, uh, do you have anything else? Uh, what, like you want to tell us besides impossible James, what you got coming up in the future? Um, and uh, anything else you want to promote uh, where we can find, tell people where they can find you online? Um, no, I don't have much else. I mean, I mean, I've already finished writing another book, but there is no plans for that uh, coming out anytime soon. So we are focusing on impossible James, which will be out on the 15th. Uh, and I would love if everyone listening to this bought a copy or at least looked at the Amazon page. Like you don't need to buy a copy. Maybe it's not for you, but at least check it out. It's weird. It's fun. Everyone will love it. Uh, and if they want to follow me or connect with me, uh, Twitter is that the best place for that, um, which is danger underscore Slater. All righty. Well, danger Slater, thanks so much for coming on and talking with me. Um, hang on the, hang on the line. I'll give you a, a proper goodbye after our, we're off the air. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for coming in. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Good luck with everything. Um, we'll be sure to check out Impossible James. And you just you wrote another freaking novel already. So so uh, <laughs> I know you say you got no plans for that to come out, but we already know that there will be something after Impossible James. So uh, the train keeps rolling. Uh, 
But um, yeah, I will be back uh, next week. I'm going to have a fellow podcaster on, Kenya Abbott of uh, Politiken, uh, or Politiken, excuse me, is how you pronounce that. Uh, we're going to talk Detroit politics and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, so check out that. That will be a week from today. Uh, and I will see everybody then. So everybody have a great week. This has been American Weiner on podcastdetroit.com.